God's Word. Our passage is Ruth, chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. That's page 235 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible of your own, should be a Red Pew Bible that looks like this somewhere nearby. If you want to hunt one of those up, turn to page 235. Again, that's Ruth, chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. We'd like for everybody to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she, thre then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epith. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Tricia. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we still inquire our hearts before you and your word. Lord, we have sung praises to you, we've offered our prayers to you, we have heard your word read to us, we've brought you our offerings and our tithes in worship. Lord, now we open our hearts for the preaching of your word, that by the power of your spirit, somehow, you use this to bring about transformation in our hearts because of the power of your word. Lord, would you come and do that? Because, Lord, we need to be renewed. We need to be awakened. We need to be encouraged. We need to see Jesus. To come and speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. So, last week... I've got a glare here. Over here. Uh, last week, uh, we started talking about gender. Which I was... 
pretty surprised by how much interest I encountered just in the congregation. I mean, I had so many conversations uh, after, after the sermon and throughout the week, and I just saw, wow, this is really something that is on so many of our hearts. And one of the reasons for that is kind of what we talked about last week. We began to talk about how in our culture right now, uh, gender is a very contested kind of subject. I mean, it's, a, it's an area of tremendous confusion right now in our culture where we begin to see uh, just a lot of people who are suffering from gender confusion. We see a lot of gender politics, as it's been called. You know, all this fighting and arguing over what is gender. But as we look at the world right now, and we look into our culture, we see this particular view of gender as gender is a personal choice. It's, it's something that you choose based on what you feel. And so, therefore, you can choose your own gender. Because it's not something that's really created and is at the essence of who you are. Rather, it's something that you kind of choose and pick based on what fits. And sometimes a different thing fits at different times. So we have all of these new terms that are introduced in our culture like gender neutral and gender fluid. Just this, after the service this past week, one of the uh, parishioners here just shared uh, an experience that she had where she had met someone new and the person, after introducing themselves, told her what kind of pronoun she prefers. As in like, I prefer they and theirs rather than he or she. Those don't fit me. And we encounter these things and we're like, what is going on? You know, this is, this feels like, kind of like the twilight zone, right? We talk about, you know, uh, boys going into girls' bathrooms and vice versa. And we, we, uh, we hear so much about transgenderism and it is stunning to see in the culture this idea of gender that is so distorted. And we should also have compassion for those who are suffering in the face of this. But it's, there's a tremendous amount of confusion. But then also as we step back and we look kind of on the other end of the spectrum and we look at the more traditional views of gender, uh, we see sometimes there's a big miss there too. That oftentimes what's emphasized in traditional uh, gender views is this kind of misogynism. You know, men are in charge and they rule and women are to be excluded from everything and, and there tends to be a focus almost exclusively on what you can and can't do. And there's these stereotypes that are reinforced about how you have to look and what, uh, you know, where is your place in society and all of these kind of things. And the reality is, in the church, even in that, from that traditional view of gender, there has been a great deal of harm that has been done to people. And in the name of this particular subject from the perspective of the Bible. And it is a miss from what we see whenever we come to Scripture and we look at what is a biblical view of gender. What does it mean? What are we called to in that? So we've been in the book of Ruth, which talks a great deal about gender. Well, it talks about gender by showing us gender over and over and over in these beautiful, stunning pictures of two people relating to one another in femininity and masculinity. But as we talked about, even from the first week, the book of Ruth is about love. Not just romantic love, but this, this love that is a giving away of my life for another person. Ruth in the book, 
her stunning love in this book is her love for Naomi. Giving her life away, binding herself to someone that really cannot repay her in any way. We see a stunning picture of love in this Hebrew word hesed. This sturdy kind of love in the hard places. This kind of burning the ships. I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what it costs me. I'm not going to leave. That's the picture of hesed love. And we see that throughout the book of Ruth. What does it look like to love in the hard places? But the thing that we're going to talk about today is that love uh, is specific to the essence of our gender. How we love in our masculinity and our femininity is at the heart of how God has created us and called us to love. And that's what we see in our passage today. So let's jump back into the passage. We're kind of just going back over the, the same passage here, though I extended a little bit at the bottom where we're going to take in a few extra verses here at the bottom. But last week, you know, the preacher got worked up and got going, and I looked up, and I thought we were going to get to discuss, and it's like time to go, okay? So today, here's my goal. We're going to have plenty of time to discuss this together, okay? So hold me to this. All right, so jumping back in here, we're looking at these two people of Boaz and Ruth, and we're looking at their interactions, and what we're noticing here whenever we talk about gender is that from a biblical perspective, gender is the essence of how we're called to love. If the world says your gender is for you, what you feel, what you want to put on, what, what feels like uh, most your own self-discovery, well, the Bible comes and says, no, 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 your gender is something that God has put in you. It's in the essence of how we're created. We saw it the... We talked about this last week, but at the very beginning of the Bible, whenever human beings are created at creation, and he, he makes them, and he makes male and female, and he says that we are the image of God, that's at the heart of what we are, is human beings. Our purpose is contained in that. We are created to reveal God. That's what an image does. It reveals something. It pictures something. And that's what we exist for, to reveal God. But here's what you got to understand. God is at His core relational. Even in the Trinity, God has always existed in a relationship within Himself. God has always been community. It's at the essence of who He is. And so to be in the image of God means fundamentally we reveal Him as we relate to one another in love. That's at the core of what it means to image God. But in, right there in Genesis 2, we're told that the, in the image of God, we are made male and female. So as men and women, we uniquely reveal something about God. It matters, and we're equally the image of God. So here we see Boaz, and we see Ruth, and we see them relating to one another. And at this point, there is no romantic relationship here. Something later will develop. But at this point, it is just two people... Relating to one another in love, in relational love. Now we see these pictures of masculinity and femininity. And that's oftentimes the way that, that scripture calls us to something. It doesn't just tell us. I mean, there's plenty of that. But more often than not, scripture shows us. It paints a picture so that we see it and we say, wow. And that's what we see in Boaz and Ruth. In Boaz, we see this Stunning picture of masculinity. 
Now, we talked about last week, what is it the essence of what it means to be masculine, to be a man? Men are uniquely created to engage their world, to move into relationship, to offer life, to show up, to, to bring life and covering to others, uh, to bring security and protection, to take responsibility for people in their life. They move into relationship. That's what a man does. We see that in Boaz, stunningly here. Remember, Boaz here is arrived right in the beginning of our passage. He arrives at his field. He begins to notice right off the bat that someone new is gleaning in his field. Now, this is his domain. It's his area of responsibility. And he sees someone come in, and he sees them, that's first, and he realizes this person is vulnerable. Ruth is a widow and she is a foreigner, which in Israelite society would put her at the very bottom of the socioeconomic power grid. She's got no say. She's incredibly vulnerable. She very easily could be taken advantage of by the other workers or the people in her life. But what do you see Boaz here? She offers him nothing. But yet, he sees her. He moves in. He takes responsibility. He offers covering. He insists that she come under his protection. He then goes about and tells everyone else, you're not to mess with her. He invites her to come and to share in the water jars that were reserved only for the workers there. At the, at the end of our passage, he offers her food. He brings her to the table, which gives her status. Uh, he takes care of Naomi as he sends her home with food. We see in all of these things that Boaz sees. He engages, he moves, he offers covering and protection. He takes responsibility. He didn't have to do that. Why would he fuss with this? He's got plenty of things to tend to. But you see, it's in the essence of who he is. He sees one's, someone who is vulnerable move into his orbit. It doesn't matter what they offer him. They move into his orbit and at his core... He moves in a masculine way to provide protection and security for her. Now Ruth, we see on the other hand, gives us this stunning picture of femininity. We see her in this picture how she opens herself to him. How she reveals a beauty within herself that is a reflection of the beauty of God. How she invites in relationship. She opens herself. She submits herself which means, you know, submission is like one of these bad words. I realize that in our culture. It's been abused. It's been terribly abused. It's been used by people to try to put women and others under their power. But, but submission is not weakness. It's not blind obedience. It's putting yourself under the care of another. It's coming up under someone's care. It's opening yourself. That's what submission is. It's like, okay. Put myself under you. I'll open myself to you. And when, when a woman opens in that way, she invites a person into rest, into care, into nurture. Uniquely, women are created with this essence. We see this stunningly in Ruth. We see her. She's submitted to Naomi. Why? Like you would, you would expect at this point, she'd be like, listen, Naomi, you've not done much here. Okay, so... Just sit here and I'm going to go take charge here. No, instead she says, here's what I would like to do. What do you think about this? 
And then later we will see Naomi kind of comes up with a plan for them. She submits herself to Naomi in a very daring way. And we see here as, as Boaz approaches her and offers this covering, she submits herself and puts herself under his care. She opens herself to him. She is affected by him. Now here's the thing to see. These two people are heroes, but it is not the norm. I mean, as, as I look at this picture, especially as I look at Boaz, I am struck with how different the natural movement of my own heart is. We began to talk about this last week, that a core struggle for men, rather than to engage and move into relationship, is to withdraw in passivity. It is a core struggle for men. To move away from relationship. To, to move away and avoid responsibility. I mean, so much has been written recently about the epidemic of adolescence in men. An adolescence that continues into 30s and 40s. That men in our culture are having so much trouble launching into adulthood. And instead find ourselves moving into all these other things that make us feel adequate and strong. We talked about, you know, the the proliferation of, of uh, video games this past week and, and the delay of marriage and men avoiding relationship. And, and Larry Crabb says, the deepest fear of a man is weightlessness. It's this deep fear that I don't have what it takes. That, that I don't know if I can affect my world. And so what men will tend to do is withdraw from those areas where they don't know. That, that feel mysterious, that feel challenging, that make them feel inadequate, which almost always is relationship. Relationship is messy. Relationship is hard. Re relationship is mysterious. So a man will avoid relationship and tend to move towards things where he feels adequate, like sports, or hobbies, or toys. Things that make us feel strong. And you know, we talk about the big trucks driving around in Trenton. I mean, you see those. What do you see? So often, honestly, I see little boys who are trying to say, I have weight. And when reality, they're avoiding real engagement and relationship in their life. Now, I, I can speak about this as an insider, okay? I'm an expert. Because one, I'm a man. And two... I have always known a deep inward struggle with passivity and withdrawal. And the areas that I've struggled the most in this is in the closest relationships in my life, which would be in marriage, which would be with my children, and which would be with my family. I find so often that the tendency in my life is that I can be utterly engaged with strength and passion in ministry, in hobbies, in all these other areas of my life, but that whenever I get home, I want to withdraw. I, I, I want to escape. I, I, I want to come home. I want to put my feet up and get like used to. I, I wanted to get lost in the newspaper. Now it's my iPhone. But I just find this kind of overpowering um, tendency to pull back in relationships. To not want to enter and engage and take responsibility. Now by God's grace I've grown in this. But I still feel it so deep in my bones. And I've, I've especially struggled in this area with my larger family. Hardest place for me to show up. 
in my family, there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of brokenness. And just this past week, there was a big loss in my family. And when I heard of this loss, I was stunned that, that they came to me for this. And, and I was kind of faced with this challenge where everything in me wants to kind of say, back up, back up. And what was amazing is that Ashley moved towards me and says, don't you see your weight in their life? You've got to show up. You've got to enter in. You've got to engage here. And she said that in a very loving and respectful way. And what did it do? It helped me to see, oh, wait a minute. I've got to bring my weight. God has given me weight just in the essence of who I am. I've got to show up in relationship. And now on the other hand, so women, what, what is your core struggle? You've been called to, to open and reveal and, and, and to invite others into rest. But the core struggle of a woman is to control. It, it, it's to, uh, to avoid that submission and to, to control in your world. Uh, to shut down where no one can get in. You know, Larry Crabb says that the core fear of a woman is invisibility. Is to not be seen. Is to not have anything of value that would attract anyone to be involved with their heart and in their life. And so often that is the experience in a broken world. So as a response, women will so often enter into control in their world. To bring about that, making things work in their life. And when you enter in control, there's no openness. People can't enter in. People, people can't come and find rest and nurture in your invitation. And I just say, I, I so often experience sisters in Christ as shut down in this way. Where I long to, to connect. I, I long for there to be appropriate relationship. I long for women to open themselves that you might come in and offer help and care. But so often, you know what I experience? The shields are up. You can't get in. You can't receive help because you're guarded. I know that's because of a fear. It's a fear that if I let go of control, nobody's going to come through for me. I know that fear is so deep. But I just, I want you to know that there are brothers in Christ in your life. For those of you who are married, there are husbands who long to enter into you, into your world, into your heart, to experience your rest and your care and engagement. But when that is shut down, you can't get in. The people in your life cannot experience the nurture and rest that you are created to offer to your domain. So the reality is, what we're called to is the opposite of our inclination. <laughs> right? So, so men struggle from under-engagement. I mean, men would be perfectly happy. Most men I know, including myself, would be perfectly happy to say, you, you got this, you take care of this, I'll just go over here and play, right? And, and women would be perfectly happy with that, right? To say, listen, I know how to do this ten times better than you. Step to the side, I will take care of this, right? I don't need you. But do you see what we're called to is the opposite of our nature? What does that sound like? It sounds like love love where I die to what's most natural to me or my inclination I die to that and I offer myself in love what does love look like 
What does masculine love look like? When everything in me wants to retreat, I'm going to show up and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to speak. I'm not going to be silent. Men, your domain longs for your words. Long for your words. Silent. And so it's saying, I, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to enter here. I'm going to offer life. I don't know how it's going to go. I might be rejected. I might feel really inadequate, but I'm going to show up in strength. And women to say, you know what? I'm going to trust. Oh, it's so scary. I'm going to open myself. I'm going to give up control. I'm going to let you care for me. Hard to do, but it's love. And when we do that together, God begins to weave something really, really beautiful. Just this past week, someone shared, someone in the congregation shared, and this is a conversation that happened, I don't know if it was a year ago, many months ago, and uh, we were having a conversation about this, and, and so she, God was really speaking to her, and she went home and said to her husband, she said to him, how does it feel when I take over? And she said, he just began to open his heart and say, it makes me feel kind of worthless. And he begins to share his heart for the first time. And repentance begins to happen. And something was happening in the moment of that relationship. And I think, wow. What did she do? She went home, submitted, and opened herself and says, what is this like? I want more of you in this relationship. He stepped into that. It's a stunning picture of what can happen when we relate in this way. How do we do that? How do we love in a way that's opposite to what's native to us? How do we love in a way whenever it costs a dying to ourselves and our preference? Well, you know the answer. It's only in the power of the gospel. Men, it's only as we are really moved in the deep places of our heart by seeing Jesus. Moving into our world. You know, he, he saw us and the mess of this world. And he didn't have to engage. He didn't have to. He, he could have said, you know what? You made a mess. Live in it. Not my problem. But what did he do? He came. He came right into the mess. And he laid down his life. And he offered his life for us. It's the ultimate picture masculinity and so as you're experiencing his love for us that now gives us adequacy and weight it gives you the weight to move in those mysterious places in your life and women as you see Jesus seeing you he sees you he is drawn to you so drawn to you that not only would he come into our world but that he would submit himself to the father you know, it's stunning. Go through the Gospels and look at how much Jesus submits to the Father. It's amazing. Jesus said things like, I do nothing but what my Father in Heaven wants. I am utterly submitted to Him. And we see the ultimate picture of this in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is wrestling with the weight of the cross, with the dread of bearing the sin of the world. And He's literally on His knees before the Father just wrestling with the weight of what's coming. And yet, what does he do in that moment? He submits himself to the Father. With tremendous courage to submit takes so much courage and strength. But when you see Jesus doing that for you, 
that you're seen, that you're covered, that you're secure. You can do this in your life. You can open your hands. You can submit. You can invite others into your heart. It's only in the power of the gospel that we get the strength to live out our essence as men and women. So let's stop there. We got a little time here. I succeeded in my goal. We got some time to talk about this. So how does this strike you? I realize that for some of us, this might be the first time you've heard these things. For some of us, we might be so taught in a whole different way of looking at gender that this is very jarring for us. Let's hear from one another. How does this, maybe there's ways in which this excites you. This grabs you. Maybe there's ways in which it terrifies you. Both are true for me. Let's hear from each other. I think I always wondered what it meant when the word tells us that the man is to be the head of the family. Yeah. And I've always uh, just been curious about that, but I think yeah. that this was a very good thing to hear, especially being very controversial yes. right now in the world. So thanks That's for that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Eduardo. And we're going to get to talk about that specifically, how this plays out in marriage in a couple of weeks, because you're going to see this relationship move into that. We're going to see a stunning picture of that, of headship and covering and her coming under and how that fits together in a very beautiful, powerful way. Can you tell us again the name of the guy that his interpretation that you were basing the sermon on? Yes. So Larry Crabb has written a book called Fully Alive. He's written a lot about this. Um, one of the things, for, for the men among us especially, there's a book called The Silence of Adam that I read whenever I was a new believer. And it, it was probably written in the 70s, but it just completely rocked my world. It was like somebody shine a spotlight on me because I, I had just been so blind to the reality of passivity in my life. So I'd recommend that for men. But Fully Alive is a more recent thing that he's written. In fact, Larry Crabb's with Jesus now. But, um, but this book does a really helpful job of kind of laying these out and talking about this essence. Because that's one of the hard things about this is because we want to say, well, well what, are the, what are the things that a man and woman are supposed to do? It's a little bit, we want to gravitate towards those kind of edges and boundaries, but really femininity and masculinity is an essence that comes out of how we relate. But that, that's the answer to your question is Larry Crabb has written a book called Fully Alive that, that is a helpful treatment on that. Thanks, Hutch. This just reminds me, yesterday I was reading um, a chapter from Simone de Beauvoir, who's kind of like the grandmother of feminism in her book, uh, The Second Sex. And one of the, the chapters that I read was titled A Woman, Women in Love. And what was so interesting about it is I think she, so she was arguing that these women um, are, are basically coming from a place of lack. Um, of what? But of, la of lacking. Okay, so like okay. um, with, um, so, so, so they, she had this idea of women like giving herself, which I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, because that kind of seems biblical. Um, and in devotion and a lot of this language, but it was so twisted because 
the woman's whole identity became in her lover or spouse or whatever. And so basically it was like just a picture of codependency. But I think what was so like sad about it, I guess, is that one, it seemed true for a lot of people. Even like in my heart, I'm like, oh, I can see how that dynamic comes up out of play. But I think what was especially sad is that because the woman's whole identity was in this like giving her whole self to her spouse, there was nothing grounding her. And so, I don't know, it just reminded me that even things that are really close to this, if they're not grounded in a secure identity in Christ, of like, I'm actually not relating to men from a place of lack. I'm not relating to men in a place of um, inferiority. But like, if you start there, it just gets so distorted and so horrible and it really becomes an ugly picture but it, I think what's so sad is it's so close to what it what it should be yeah. but because we don't have this security and this worth and like you were saying the pursuit of Christ for us so men can let me down other women can let me down and I can still respond how I'm supposed to because that's already been filled not this like desperate control and insecurity and it was just amazing how she's not a believer um or she wasn't how much insight she had about it going wrong and how close she was but just like yeah oh man women do have worth like we do have a god who pursues us and grounds us and we don't we're to be interdependent but we're not we don't need men to fill us but we're still called to submit it was just really beautiful and just hearing you share that was I don't know, I guess it just made me kind of sad yeah. that you can be so close, but if you don't have the gospel, it's a disaster. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I think that's a great point, Sarah, because it, literally the heart of this is your identity is in Christ. If you take that out, well, that's why the world's distortions are so broken and are never going to get to that place of like, oh yeah, that's really what we're made for. Is because it's all going to be rooted in our identity in Christ. You can't give yourself away. And both are giving. Both are giving. Both are laying down their selves for, for another. It's love. You can only do that when you're secure in Christ. It's the only way. Like I've tried to white knuckle and engage and throw off passivity in my life. And it just blows up. Because <laughs> you can't do it in your own strength. It has to flow from your security and identity in Christ. Troy? This actually has a lot to do with what you just said. Um, I think as men, we get headship way turned, like totally wrong. We watch Clint Eastwood or whatever. Sorry, kids, you don't even know who that is. Um, and, 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 we, and, and we watch, you know, kings and movies and what headship means instead of the opposite, which is repentance. Yeah. Um, like if we could lead in repentance, which is like goes against everything we want to do as men because we want respect. And so if we say, hey, I'm a moron, will you forgive me? That's like opposite of what we want to do. Yeah. Um, yet it's headship because it, it's leading. Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I just want to say that, and I know you're getting to that, so sorry about the sermon later, but... Um, I just think that's really, really, really important because it's interesting how uh, often women do lead, um, which is what they're going to do, right, in their sin. And then we as men follow. Instead of just 
how do I repent? Because we so long for respect. Mm -hmm. And so we get it all upside down and say, hey, this means serve me. Yeah. This means I love me some more, so you love me some more. Right. Um, which is so upside down for what gospel yeah. calls as headship. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. It's like too often we take the term headship and we attach a worldly definition to it. When the biblical picture of headship is, I'm the chief servant, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not so interested in that headship, okay? Where I'm going to give up my preferences and my life and everything for those whom God has put under my care. Okay, that's a hard calling. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a question. Mm -hmm. So when I hear you say that Christ embodied both, it makes me think that as all believers, we should strive to embody both. So why, why is it that we sort of sort it the way that we do? With the things that men and women should embody or the way that they should love? Yes. So the shortest answer is because Scripture over and over shows us that. But I think the, an important point to make is that when we're talking about the essence of the ways that these two, you know, man and woman love, it's not that those are exclusively what they do, but it's that this is an emphasis in how they relate, if, that, if I can make that distinction. So, in other words, a man gives nurture, a man gives care, a man invites into rest, a woman engages, a woman pursues. All of those things are true about both. You're, that's, that's right in that case. But there is a certain emphasis that takes place in our femininity and masculinity that, that becomes like, you know, this is kind of what I'm made to do. You know, I'm ex I excel in this area. When I do this thing, those in my domain find life. They find life. So, does that answer your question? Okay, somewhat. I still remain really curious about this. I, in terms of my personal background and kind of environment community and what I see in the world is that chauvinism and male dominance and male control tend to be more of a problem than male passivity. Uh, I think we've seen that a lot in the church. I think, I think men in the church have used certain, you know, parts of scripture to sort of be an excuse to in a lot of ways mistreat and control and domineer over women. I think that tends to be the cultural emphasis as well. And if you look at cultures worldwide, especially if you look at the Middle East, the Far East, things of that nature, you know, women are still literally second-class citizens mm -hmm. in many, many ways. Yeah. And so can while I jump I... in and offer something real quick, and you can respond to it? <clears throat> sure. Just a just a slight distinction here. When men withdraw from relationship, there's two ways to do it. Two kind of spectrums on that. One is passivity. Like I'm the little boy, I'm checking out, I'm pulling back, I'm, I'm into my little toys. You can also withdraw from relationship very aggressively, like macho. But they're both a withdrawal from relationship. They're both a retreating from that. Now this doesn't look like passivity. Because it's like, you know, it's the Clint Eastwood. It's the, 
I'm the tough guy, you know, I'm the muscled up guy, drive the big truck or whatever. By the way, I love big trucks, okay, I want to drive one myself. But, you know, that too is withdrawal. It's, it's an aggressive withdrawal, but it is still withdrawing from relationships. So in that essence, it is a passivity. It is a using my headship to avoid what I'm really called to and engage in relationship because people who I've seen move in that way, the last thing they want to do is move into a relationship. So, Well, that's an interesting distinction. Um, I, you know, I'll have to think about that. That's not what, what I, you know, necessarily w- was hearing. Um, I think so many... So much balance and sensitivity is required in any of these issues. Absolutely. I'm, I'm tiptoeing in here, okay? And yeah. it, the, the balance is, um, it's always hard to achieve no matter what, you know, we're saying about it. Yeah. It's hard to always say everything about a subject in any given time period. And the balance is difficult. I, I think it is worth thinking about that if... If, it, if we categorize in terms of passivity and control, uh, in terms of the, the weakness of man is passivity and the weakness of, of woman is control, and so then to, to think about counteracting that, that can easily look like just a, a simple return to uh, chauvinism and, and second classism. Yeah. Does right. that make sense? Yes. Which is why I'm, I'm extremely curious about the idea of passivity or withdrawal being sort of the key, you know, aspect of the failing of a man. I, I, I was resonating with some of the things that Troy was saying in terms of the, whereas laying down our life yeah. is more, you know, our, our weakness is that we don't lay down our life, yeah. you know, as man. Yeah. And, and love our, our wives or, and, and then even just others as Christ loved the church in terms of laying down. Yeah. Uh, laying down is not passivity, though sometimes those things are confused. I just, in, in seeking the balance, I think it's definitely possible then for that passivity control dichotomy to actually reinforce a, a, a really negative aspect of human, you know, interaction in history in yeah. terms of chauvinism and dominance. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It does, it does. And I think the key, a couple of things I'd love to say, the key is that we understand the essence is love in relationship. That is our calling together. Like, that is what it means to be the image of God. We are called to love and love. What does love look like? Love looks like I give up myself for you. So that is key. That's got to be at the essence of it. That my, the center of my paradigm is not, am I passive or am I controlling? But it's got to be, am I loving? Am I giving up myself for another person? Let me also say with the, uh, so I talked about how a man can withdraw aggressively and passively for a woman and, and maybe these aren't the best terms to use of control and passivity, the best I can come up with, but control, I think, also can look like a very passive control or a very aggressive control. Like, I've had 
family members and women in my life um, that have been very aggressive with control, like, hey, I don't, I don't need any man, I'm going to jump in and take charge and all that stuff, and then I've had family members that their control has been very passive, it's been manipulative, it's been the guilt trip. Like, I, I've, had, I've had women in my life who were matriarchal figures in my life who were experts at the guilt trip. You know, it looked like, oh, you know, woe is me, nobody comes to see me, all that kind of stuff. But it was control and relationship. Yeah, you know, it, it, was, it was not a opening and submission and all that stuff. So, those, I, I don't want to put those two terms in too small of a box. Because then we get back to that traditional problem you're talking about. Where you just have, okay, the men, we're going to rule, we're going to lead... You fall in line and the women are like, okay, let's go knit. Right? So we don't want to go there. We have to understand it's all about loving in relationship and what is this essence that I'm going to bring uniquely. That whenever I engage in this way in a relationship, life comes to my domain. Yeah. Um, I almost don't want to say anything after all that. But <laughs> no, um, I... I I can relate to both sides of that definition of masculinity, where I just want to step away and not do anything. And in other ways, I want to create an environment that is so well structured that I can step away yeah. and not do anything. Yeah. yeah. So then the question comes up and it's like, well, what's the structure say? Yeah. What's, then, then I'm done. Yeah. You know, you, you got to go. So I don't have to do anything. And I, I fall on both sides of that from time to time. Yes. And, yes. Uh, but I was going to say, too, and it's partly in relation to whether or not we kind of walk in both sides of this femininity and masculinity. And I've learned a lot from my wife on how I respond to the Lord in terms of me having a more feminine response to Christ and submitting to him and really following him. Yeah. And she's taught me a lot in, her, in our relationship on how I should respond to God's work in my heart, and I just say that I think there's a picture of that a little bit in each of us, and how we are yeah. called to walk and move, yeah. and and to some extent in Christ in God's word, we see that we see women taking on men's role when men are absent, yeah, when men are not available, when right. leadership is not what it should be, yeah, we see that in God's word, and even in yeah. right there, uh, chapter three, verse one, yeah, she's going to look at Ruth and say, should I not care for your security, yeah. And so she's taking on a role that's really kind of directing Ruth now in a, in a masculine way. Yeah. Um, and asking her to submit. Yeah. And so I, th I think that's just kind of, we, we do experience that, but I think we, there are unique ways in which men and women do experience this. Um, so. Absolutely. Thank you. We, we better close it down. And let me just say, I, I know you probably got questions. You're going to work this out. And it, we do. It's not like, oh, I heard a sermon, now I got it. Or the pastor preached a sermon, now he's got it, okay? None of that. This is something that we have to really work on together in the body and work out together in love. So that's a great plug for community groups. You get in a community group, you can get in there and talk about it. We were talking about it this week. We're going to be talking about it next week. You know, come in there. And that's where we can really, you can bring those questions if you're too shy to ask in a big group. You can come in that smaller group and we can... 
really work this out. Let me give you also a homework assignment. Go to some close, close relationship in your life. If you're married, go to your spouse. If you are not married, go to a roommate or a close friend or someone, a brother, sister, a sibling, and say, how do you experience me as, um, I'm going to make it simple to say, do you experience me withdrawing from relationship and passivity or showing up? Or do you experience me controlling or submitting and opening? Just ask some of those questions. It doesn't matter what specifically you ask, but kind of open the door and see what happens in this relationship and what God might reveal to you through the body of Christ that he's put in your life. So, And I'd love to hear what happens in those conversations. So let me pray for us. Musicians can go ahead and come up. Father, we there is so much uh, danger around this. Because, Lord, we have made such a mess of this in our world. And, of course, you, you said it was going to happen. I mean, Genesis 3, we see we are living in the curse. Where our relationships between men and women and husbands and wives and boys and girls, they are broken because of the fall. That's why this is so hard. If there was no fall, we would get it. It just makes sense. But it's hard, Lord, so we need your grace, we need your help, and would you just help us to keep our eyes on the most important thing, which is to love in relationship with the people you've put in our life, to give up our own self for the sake and the flourishing of others. In Christ's name we pray.